Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the nerd. I'm Ian. Uh, today's podcast went a little bit awry. Uh, in an effort to work on the write a novel this year, New Year's resolution, I recruited my friend Lonnie to act as coach for quarterly check-ins this year, and she very generously agreed. We had a conversation about starting out writing from absolutely zero momentum, as well as uh, going over some common script barriers I run into with the channel. However, when we sat down to record this weekend, my mic levels were dialed in way too hot. Lonnie, the important part of the conversation, sounds great. So, I've spent the last couple days trying to trim, edit, and adjust my audio to something resembling bearable, so I can get you this. I'm going to send you over to that interview now. I apologize for my terrible audio. And when it's done, I'm going to bring you back for the weekly fanfic reading. Here we go. So, Lonnie, hello. Um, can you, can you please, for the uninitiated, share a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you're working on now in the present this year, 2020? Sure. Or, Hi, everybody. My name... Or if that was too much. I don't know. Whatever, whatever you feel like. <laughs> it's... Hi, everybody. My name is Lonnie Diane Rich. Um, I am the owner of Chipperish Media. I do a number of podcasts uh, from there, one of which is a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast called Still Pretty. Um, I am also a New York Times bestselling novelist, um, and I am a story expert. So I, I do a lot of writing coaching for people. Um, and I currently have, uh, well, actually, not currently. I'm recording it now. It'll come out in March. On March 11th, I'm um, releasing um, a new run of podcasts called How Story Works Conversation. They're in the How Story Works existing podcast feed. Uh, for anybody who wants to look it up and the kind of stuff that I'll be talking about with Ian today is going to be in there in space. I'll, so. I'll put links to everything in the show notes. Mm -hmm. uh, so you and I have worked together kind of uh, before. Yeah. We started a little thing called Nerd Chipper um, mm -hmm. and said, well, we'll do it for a year. And then we did six months and we're like, well, that's enough. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know what? It was putting off me getting my Buffy Guide stuff from you. So I was like, no more, well, now, Mr. Yes, now I found yeah. new reasons to put off getting you your Buffy Guide stuff. But uh, <laughs> we did record a an official announcement um, saying that it was going on indefinite hiatus. And then uh, mm -hmm. the recording didn't work on your end. And so we just decided not to... <laughs> We were like, let's maybe just never mention just it too, again. If we don't say anything, then maybe no one will notice. Right. No one yes, will but notice. It, but occasionally people have noticed. So I figured mm -hmm. um, we could use this opportunity to say, hey, everyone, that thing we were doing three months ago. <laughs> Nerdshippers <laughs> For those of you who didn't quite pick it up, didn't figure it out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we had a little script for it at the time, but for me, what was going on was I had uh, Firefly, Buffy, Angel, uh, this podcast, the Patreon Hangout streams, occasional bad decision stream, and it was just too much on the plate at once. And I yeah, I had just written yeah. uh, top or four things I learned from doing YouTube full time, and one of them was don't put too much on your plate. 
Right. <laughs> so that's in the last episode of Nerd Chipper, which kind of gives people a sense of maybe why this happened. Um, I have a very full plate as well. I've got two or three, depending on the week, podcasts that I do a week, plus a full-time job, plus working on the How Story Works book and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, it ended up being something. It was, it was really, really it fun. Was. We had a great time. Um, but it was just one of those things where, like, you know, when something has to go, you pick the thing that has to go, and that was kind of the thing i think for both of us yeah for me personally getting to do um stuff outside of the wheelhouse of specific things that i'm currently doing on the channel uh proves very important and i need to figure out mm -hmm. a way uh to incorporate that um but it was mm -hmm. it was probably just the the regularity with which we were doing it that that was a struggle for me personally it was hard. Yeah. You know, I love you, Ian. You know, I love, I love you. you. Um, but there is there has never been like a time and place or a, <laughs> a, like a thing that you have not been like you. You've missed. There have been times where we were supposed to meet and I'm there for like an hour and I'm like, is he? Does he know what that is? I am the you know? worst. Yeah. Literally the worst. No, it's. Okay, look, here's the thing, though. Like, I accept that that's who you are. I accept that that's just the way it is. Like, with Ian, things are a little bit unpredictable. You, we were on time today, though. Like, on the right day, on the yeah. right time. And I'm, you know, I do it, too. Like, it happens to me a lot, too. Where, like, I mean, I don't, like, forget what day it is. But, like, I'm constantly having to put things off or shuffle things around. Because when you're, when you're you know, dance card is as full as our dance cards are, you know, things get kind of shuffled. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard to... To get things on a, a particular date and the thing is like i am one of those people where like i have to have things done when i say i'm going to have them done like on the date and sometimes that means like at the last minute just you know skidding into like my my co-host at chipperish like to call it like lonnie skids into the deadline with dirt on her knees you know like into home base um because i'm always doing my show notes up to the last 10 minutes before we actually record the podcast it's always that kind of thing um but but i always like to get them at least like done on time and so like when we were doing Nerd Chipper, it just felt like it was so hard for both of us to be able to find the time to get it done. And when I missed my first deadline, I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah. I'm missing deadlines. I can't Me do being it. late was par for the course. When you were late, I was like, <laughs> okay, I think we need to have a conversation. Yeah, if I can't get it done on time, it makes me absolutely insane inside. So yeah, it was at that point we both knew it was just too much. Well, and the other thing... Um, uh, and some people mentioned this in the chat once or twice, but uh, or not in the chat, in the comments on our videos once or twice. They said, how is this a collaboration? <laughs> uh, I, I just thought it was interesting that, that, yes, we did chat about things and I would send you scripts. Um, uh, mm -hmm. Not for looking for ists uh, on a particular basis, <laughs> although it sounded that way. But the... Um, the this year the reason i've asked you there is i, I as i said i've kind of self-deprecatingly call this the stream of consciousness cast but really the podcast has mm -hmm. become my own journey to just get stuff done uh and mm -hmm. sort of presenting that and sharing that how to do more including more self-care and being happier and so forth this year on my list of shit to get done for no reason whatsoever <laughs> I included write a novel. <laughs> okay. All right. Relating this back to the all of the things that you have on you your sure? plate. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just I'm pointing it yeah, out. Yeah, I just think it would be neat. Uh, in the same way, so, I love yeah, in it. the same way, some people think they want to climb Everest. Uh, for me, <laughs> I would think yeah, it'd be kind of, be kind of cool. So I reached out to you and I asked if you would um, have any interest in being my. Sherpa feels a bit insensitive, especially given the conversation that we just had. Uh, coach for the upcoming year from zero to done with the process. And you said, sure, absolutely. I'm in sweet. Um, so the goal, uh, then for this year is by the end of the year to, for me to have a finished and I'll, I'll self publish through Amazon or, or one of the available, um, uh, mediums, but a, a, a finished edited, okay, it's done and it's ready. Um, uh, published piece by the end of the year. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, I hate that sports sports analogies are so apt, uh, but I I have no coordination. I can't dribble. I can't shoot. I've stepped on the court saying I want to write a novel. I get three coaching sessions with you <laughs> for the year. My coach, <laughs> what do we do? All right. So to get started, the first thing um, uh, kind of looking at the whole writing process can be a little bit overwhelming when you look at the whole thing together. Um, First thing I want to say, though, you're an excellent writer. I'm really excited to see you writing a novel. And if it was anything else, I would be discouraging you from doing it because it's way too much. But I really want to read what you write. So this is very selfish. Me encouraging you in this direction is very selfish. Um, But the first thing you can do is um, is look at writing in three basic phases. There's discovery, there's drafting, and there's revision. Um, these phases will overlap a little bit. There's going to be some some mixing in where you're hopping out of one phase and into the other, but they're, they're basically three phases. So discovery is when you're thinking about the story, when you're kind of coming up with the idea. It's sort of that initial flirtation. It's very exciting. Um, then there's drafting, which is when you're actually like button chair, hands on keyboard, right? writing. Um, When you're done with that, you take a little time off, you get some readers to look at it and see what you got. And then you go into a revision process where you go through and edit all of that. Um, Now, it would be lovely if you could just very distinctly be like, I'll be doing discovery for six weeks, and then I'll draft for six weeks. And then I'll take six weeks off because you have to have time off between drafting and revision. And then I'll do revision for six weeks. And it all is along a timeline. Um, Every writer's process is different. And you don't know your process until you do it. I will tell you, I've had my process change from book to book. So even when I was writing like my 10th book and I had always just gone in and just, you know, I'd start writing and then I'd just see where it took me and then I'd figure it all out later, which is the the approach called pantsing or like seat of your pants as opposed to plotting people who like sanely plan things out ahead of time. Um, But I would go in and, you know, on some books and just pants my way through it and it was fine and everything. And then on my 10th book, I realized that I I couldn't move forward. And so I had to plan things out. And then I found myself writing scenes out of order, which is something I had never done before. But for that book, that's what that book required. So um, so finding your process is both a, like an exercise in self-discovery um, and also an exercise in self-discovery you have to do every time you start a new project, which can be really, really frustrating. Some people are the same all the way through. I seem to be a little, you know, mercurial 
you know, I don't know. Um, so for you, the first thing is kind of figuring out what your process is um, and working with it rather than against it. Um, a lot of times people will be like, like, I'm a pantser, right? So I'm a pantser. I look at all my friends who are plotters and I'm like, oh, my God, how I wish I was like them. I wish I had it planned out ahead of time. And it would so it would be such a more sane experience, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, the grass is greener kind of thing. Everybody else is doing it right and I'm doing it. It's stupid, you know? So I would try to change my process to match people who I thought had better processes than me. And you can't do it. You have to work with who you are. So if you are a plotter or a pantser, that's going to affect the way that you approach the story. Now, Ian, I don't know if you know yet, because this is your first novel. Is this correct? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Now, thing uh, first, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions about sure. um, mm-hmm. when did you start writing? I mean... Yeah. Um, I've been writing kind of for, like, I I think most writers have been writing forever in one form or another. I I started really writing, like, novels and fiction when um, I had my first child. Um, And um, I was home, you know, taking care of the kid. And I just, uh, when the kid was sleeping, I would want to, um, you know, to to write something or create something. Like, I had this deep need to, like, create and to do something. Um, And so I would just start writing. I wrote fan fiction. I wrote X Files fan fiction. Awesome. My, yes, I did. I, my dad wrote. And I have no shame. My dad wrote X Files fan fiction as well. And right, on this right. on this very podcast, we celebrate fan fiction with a reading at the end of every one of them. <laughs> and we should. Fan fiction is awesome, and anybody tells you different is full of it. But that's a whole different yeah, discussion. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. My my main reason for asking was sort of um, <laughs> the genesis of this for you where you started with an idea so you said you started with fan fiction how where does where does um you know your first completed piece that started as Uh, what as as, what was the germ of the idea that you then uh started to taffy and pull apart and and and, oh this is a ridiculous story um (laughs) it was i mean we could take any example really but i'm just curious how the first idea that spawns the final product. Right. The first idea that I actually finished, I only finished because I happened to come across NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month for anybody who's unfamiliar. It's 30 days in November. You write, you know, like 50,000 words in 30 days, and then you have a finished novel. Um, And I was home. You know, I had two kids at that point. I had been start. I'd written a a couple of like started a couple of books, but I never finished them. I got to this point where I just I would start writing, then I'd edit and then I'd start writing and edit and I'd edit and I'd edit and I'd edit until I was so sick of it and everything was terrible and I couldn't work with it anymore. Um, And so I'd always stop around chapter five and then start something new. Um, And then a couple of friends in this writing group I was in were like, oh, we're doing NaNoWriMo. And I'm like, well, what kind of weird ass shit is that? And and so they told me, and it uh, it was Halloween night. It was October 31st. It started on November 1st. Um, and, uh, and these friends of mine were like, you want to do it? And I was like, sure, why not? What do I got to lose? Um, so then I hopped in at midnight that night. I started writing. I had no idea, but I just talked on the phone with a friend of mine earlier that night who'd been talking about some of her experiences. And I was like, all right, I'm going to steal her experience and just put it in this scene. And I just opened it up that way. And then that, through that process, there were two things, two magical things that unlocked it for me. One was that you go in deliberately during the the drafting phase, which is when you're writing, uh, you go in deliberately intending to write crap. Um, and there are very good reasons why that helps. 
it's mostly because your internal editor, that critical voice that stops you and says, no, that's not good enough and makes you like freeze up. Um, when you're writing 2000 words a day, um, that that internal editor overheats and blows a gasket and cannot function anymore. And then you can just write. And when you're writing lots of crap, lots of terrible stuff, deliberately making it terrible, the internal editor can say, hey, that sucks as much as possible. And you'd be like, yes, I designed it that way. Why, thank you. You know, um, and then as you move through, it just shuts down and then you end up writing amazing stuff has been the experience for me. So there was that. Uh, there was the speed of it. There was the community of it that everybody else was suffering along through whatever they were doing. Um, and I actually managed to finish that novel. And then I, I got an agent six weeks later. And six weeks after that, I had a two book contract with Warner Books, um, which is when I started freaking out because I didn't know anything about storytelling. And I was like, well, I already wrote the first one, so whatever. But now I got to write another one, and I don't know what I'm doing. And that is when I started obsessively studying story so that I could get to where I am today, where I finally have figured out how to how to tell a story, how to write. It took me, like, I wrote 12 books. I published 12 books. Um, and all through this process, I've been learning, and then I've been teaching it. Um, and, uh, and so that's how it kind of all happened. For me, it started with this accident of fate, you know, and it just sort of, because I got those elements that I needed, the community, the writing fast, the writing crap, um, all of that was what I needed in order to be able to move forward. And then that just got me on the path that uh, I'm on. The, I do hear some parallels between um, what you're describing and my own process, because mm -hmm, making videos mm -hmm. for the channel for five years has is a workflow that does involve writing. Um, and you <laughs> and I had a recent conversation uh, because I am currently and unsurprisingly to my subscribers stuck on my uh dear boy script and uh mm -hmm. we got into the the it's not specifically a conversation about writer's block because what i'm suffering is not a lack of ideas about the script um uh but we'll get in, into that in a second but you talked about first of all from a starting place distinguishing between whether you're a seat of your pants or an outliner and mm -hmm. um the one experience that I have, like in my head, uh, uh, five years ago or six years ago when I started doing this, I was throwing mm -hmm. everything against the wall. I bought a piano. So I'm going to learn how to buy a, play piano. I bought a boat, which we all know about if you follow Nerd Shipper. Uh, I, bought, I started writing a novel and I wrote a little script called Why You Should Watch Buffy. One of those things stuck to the wall and the other one didn't. But I got about 70 pages into this story about that is utterly derivative of uh, it was I used the plot elements of Romeo and Juliet and some of the ideas of Buffy and a little bit of Lord of the Rings to create it. an outline that I do kind of want to revisit for this because mm -hmm. uh, my protagonist, I so mistreated her <laughs> over the course of 70 pages so many bad things happened to her that oh that's your job and i never wrote the end You're... of it so in my head for five <laughs> years this uh, there's been this undoing of i hope she's okay do you know what i'm saying like Aww. uh yeah. like i i i i i i didn't write her out of the muck and and right. so through all of that how do how do we pull that apart first of all um i want to ask you about uh 
uh, stealing. Great artists steal. Yes. Uh, I want to ask. Talent borrows, genius steals. Talent borrows, yes. genius mm-hmm. steals. So, uh, and and I want I I I want to talk a little bit about my own process for the channel, which admittedly has a brick wall in it somewhere that I run into on a regular basis. But mm-hmm. for me, the way that I write is I'll watch a particular episode, I'll create an outline, I'll restructure the outline, and then I'll develop those bullet points in the outline as paragraphs, and then um, start stringing those paragraphs together. And at the end of the day, you you have a script. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But I do find that I need that outlined. That's nonfiction writing, mm-hmm. kind of not the way I do it, really. But mm-hmm. um, uh, when I was working uh, with my protagonist five years ago, I was doing a very similar thing where I've never written plot. I've never written... Um, uh, that kind of thing before. And so to me, I went and borrowed the the act structure of Romeo and Juliet and the rough number of mm-hmm. characters. And then I staged it at what is essentially Sunnydale High School. Mm-hmm. And um, the story was evolving over that. But that way, as a beginner, I didn't have to worry about plot structure and different mm-hmm. sorts of payoffs and so forth i could focus on the dialogue the themes which are to me the the probably where my heart is when it comes to uh writing mm-hmm. now when i started the channel uh the first thing i did was i said okay who do i admire that is making review content uh, it was a video game reviewer named Yahtzee who does these zero punctuation reviews and speaks very quickly. Everyone knows Red Letter Media. Um, and there's someone I'm, I'm forgetting at the moment. And so when I first started making videos, it was very similar to their content. But somewhere along the way, it was uh, I, I chart that moment as I only have eyes for you in season two. I found my voice. And mm-hmm. oh, Mark Field, of course, Mark's book, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Myth, Metaphor and Morality. Um, it took a while, but until that point, I didn't know what I was bringing to this process that was unique and and my own other than mm-hmm. a random penis joke from time to time. So <laughs> bringing that over to to uh uh, there's there's a question in there someplace. Um, uh, bringing that over mm-hmm. to getting started writing, the idea of borrowing from other things that already exist, which is very much fan fiction. I mean, you're, it's the mm-hmm. same sort of, you know, you could say I'm writing Romeo and Juliet, Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan fiction of a sort. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Can you kind of, I threw a lot out there. Can you help me out? <laughs> Dig me out of this? <laughs> I, well, okay. There's a lot of things that you said that I picked up on. Now, whether any of that was actually at the heart of your question, we'll see when I get started. Let me know. You can steer me in the right direction. Um, a couple of things. Uh, the way that you write nonfiction may not be the same way that you write fiction. Um, but if that works for you, then that's great. Um, it sounds to me that you work best in a plotting environment where you have planned something out ahead of time um, because you had the whole structure for Romo- Romeo. Juliet, and you were using that. And that actually is a really great idea because 
all of the stuff that I teach in my narrative theory, you know, conflict and structure and all of that kind of stuff, that is the stuff that you lay down. That's the track you lay down so that you can get to the fun stuff, which is the dialogue and the theme and the the things that are magical, the things that make you and your work magical is going to be the way that you express those themes, your sense of humor, your sense of romance or horror, whatever it is that you're doing, you know. So um, you had a really, really good instinct in borrowing from something else and using that structure so you don't have to think about it, right? Um, so I think that's really a really good idea. Um, fan fiction in general, um, some people have issues with it and they say, you know, it's not original, blah, blah, blah. Everything becomes yours after a while. Um, plagiarism is what happens when you copy and paste, right? If you're not copying and pasting, but you're taking inspiration from something that already exists, you are perfectly fine. Because if you are genuinely trying to write, if you're genuinely trying to create, then your creative voice, like you said, came out, you know, in the videos, your creative voice is going to come out in your book as well. Uh, so if your intentions are pure and you're not trying to steal somebody's work so that you don't have to, which is a different thing. Um, you can take inspiration from anything and eventually it is going to meld into something that is uniquely you. Um, originality is something that I often take an issue with. I don't believe in telling a story that hasn't been told before. They've all been told before. Um, but you can find a way to tell it and to reimagine it in a way that does bring something new to it. I mean, we've retold the fairy tales for thousands of years, which is how they've traveled up to modern times, and we're still retelling them. There's a reason for that. There's something there that that we want to go back and we want to touch and we want to interact with and we want to change the perspective on. And all of that is great and fun and awesome. So um trying to think what else you said that I had I was thinking well, about when you were talking well, I about think it. Of, Did I answer your question? Yeah, yes. I mean, uh, you put my mind at ease. <coughs> and and, mm -hmm. and I think anyone interested in this conversation is either interested in, is going to have their own anxieties or concerns or questions or um, is interested in just sort of your thoughts and, and ideas about uh, this part of the process and getting started. But um, the, of course, and I think maybe unfortunately, but perhaps I'm being biased, the most famous cultural touchstone when it comes to fan fiction is Fifty Shades of Grey, which... Right, which is Twilight fan fiction, right? right? And then she but changed the name. Would you know it? No. Right, but would you know it? Because are there are no vampires in Fifty Shades of Grey, right? No! <laughs> I haven't, okay. No, there are no vampires. I'm not going to... Without being a snob, because I don't, I believe that snobbery only hurts the snob. Um, I just haven't read it. I'm, I'm not familiar. I've read like the first Twilight. I haven't read any Fifty Shades of Grey. But looking at if, if you hadn't told me, if somebody hadn't told me that um, Twilight was the inspiration for Fifty Shades of Grey, I don't think I probably would have ever guessed. And the fact is, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You can take inspiration from something, start writing within that world, and then eventually it becomes something that is uniquely you, you know? And so I think that that is a, an excellent example of how that happens. And I think that authors who resent fan fiction writers, um, I think they're wrong. Well, and <laughs> I think I, they have some soul searching to I do, think you know? Arguably, Twilight feels like Buffy fan fiction anyway. 
You know what? I don't think that there is anything that isn't fan fiction of a sort. Like, no matter what you write, you write because you were inspired by something. And so you take the elements of that thing that you loved and you create something new with it. So I think that we are all of us, all writers, all creators, we're all thieves of if you want to look at it that way in some way, because we all take the things that inspire us. I mean, how many times has Shakespeare been reimagined, you know, and without those reimaginings, without those new ways of looking at this material that has been um, a touchstone for so many of us for so long? I mean, you know, without that, we wouldn't be we wouldn't have some of the experiences that we have with that storytelling and that storytelling would die. Right. If we weren't reimagining Shakespeare every year in Central Park, like who would be telling these stories anymore? We need them, you know. So um, I feel I feel very, very strongly like and, and I don't want anybody to take this as like, go ahead and plagiarize. That's different. Stealing somebody's exact words and putting them in your work is lazy. Um, but be, being inspired by something and starting with, you know, take Hermione Granger and put her in your book. By the time you're done, she's not going to be a kid witch anymore. She's going to be something else. And that's fine. You know, I mean, change the name, like file off the serial numbers, have a little <laughs> bit of class, but you know. Jennifer Banger. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's, it's how it works. So, um, so a lot of people feel like uh, they have to be super original and everything. And I say no, especially when you're starting out. Don't try to be original. Try to find who you are and what you're excited about writing and the stories that you want to tell. And if you are genuinely creating from your own creative well, then it's going to have your fingerprint on it. It's not going to be recognizable, uh, probably. And even if it is, even if it is straight fan fiction and you're using other people's characters and everything. I mean, you can't sell that, but writing it, absolutely you can write that. Absolutely. That's how we all start. Every writer starts as a mimic. Every single one. Well, and I, So I, that's where we all start. I off. think one of the benefits of this exercise, too, is that I'm not particularly interested in the outcome more other than it being finished. Uh, that's really which good. Is, which provides a lot of freedom uh, in the process. Mm -hmm. Now, um, so just sort of speaking concretely, um, uh, yes. we've talked about your uh, uh, a moment in a friend's life became a scene, became a story, became a book. Mm -hmm. um, I, I honestly cannot envision seat of my pants. I, I wouldn't go against it, um, but just yeah. having an idea of sort of where, uh, as you said, Romeo and Juliet in my head just gives me the idea so I don't have to bother with it. And then I can sort sure. of live in the scenes and, and look for the bits that are more me to sort of develop mm -hmm. uh, uh, beyond that. But just sort of concretely, so we've got a year, right? Um, yes. Now, we're, I'm not, mm -hmm. you, you mentioned everyone's process is a little bit different and we're going to be spending a little more time. But just kind of um, from a practical standpoint, if you're starting uh, to play basketball, you need to do dribble drills, you need to do um, uh, practical exercises uh, in order to get on the. Uh, I hate sports analogies and I. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Let me go you know, ahead and grab. What I'm looking for right. is, is I see what you, saying. Where do you start? You, you say you have a goal for yourself. You want to be. You want to finish at the end of the year. Practically speaking, what does your daily habit look like? Do you uh, uh, 
block out times in your calendar to write? How do you get started when you sit down? Do you listen to music? I mean, what are, what are the yeah. nuts and bolts of your process? Okay, I can tell you what I do. Um, and I can also tell you that each writer has to figure that out for themselves. And the biggest thing is that you work with yourself rather than against yourself. Now, for me, because I am a pantser, um, I start, and I think pretty much all writers to a certain point start with the discovery process. Now, the discovery process is when you're not actively writing. You're not sitting down. You're not pumping out 200 words a day or 2,000 words a day or whatever it is by the day that you need to do or that works for you, which, by the way, all of it is legit. Um, writers do themselves such a disservice by deciding that whatever they're doing is wrong and it's not good enough. Like if you, some people write 200 words a day, some people write 5,000 words a day. What everybody else does is none of your business, doesn't matter. What What is something that works for you? And by getting a sense of what works for you, um, you can find a way to work with your process rather than work against it. So if you are the kind of person who, um, who needs it at a scheduled time every day, like I'm gonna do 20 minutes a day, or I'm gonna do two hours, hours a day or whatever uh, to dedicate to this process, then you should do that. If, if you're the kind of person that works well with a more kind of loose schedule, then that's what you should do. So first of all, know thyself. Like that's my first thing is like really get a sense for yourself. For me, I will say that this is expressed for me that I'm a pantser. So my first thing is play with the idea. And I think discovery is generally how everything starts. You get that hit of inspiration, you get this idea. Um, so in your early process, like right now, like we're gonna do three of these, right? So if we start this one, we dedicate this one to your discovery process, and then you're ready to draft, we can sit down and talk about drafting. And then when you're ready to revise, we can sit down and talk about revision. We can do that. That's usually how I break these up. Um, so the discovery process is when you are kind of flirting with the idea, you're thinking about it, you're creating characters, you're creating ideas and scenes and places and themes and, and all of the stuff that's exciting to you. Um, and there are a couple of things that I recommend while you're doing a discovery process, and everybody hates at least one of these. Um, so I recommend doing all of them, um, even the one that you think you're going to hate. Um, one of them that I always hate, I always hate, I always resist is collage. I, there's nothing I hate more than getting magazines, cutting out pictures with Elmer's glue and sticking it on foam core. Like that makes me insane. I hate it. Um, however... I find that personally to be so incredibly inspiring because I will um, print out a picture of an actor who is playing a character in my in my head in the book, and put that down on paper. And I'll and it, uh, I mean I've gone all out. I've gone to Michael's. I've gotten scrapbooks, and I'll have like a twelve by twelve inch scrapbook with like stickers and paper in the background. And I do this whole it's. It's nuts. It's nuts. Um, I have friends who built from foam core, like for one book that I did with Jennifer Cruzy and Ann Stewart called Dogs and Goddesses. It was a, um, a collaboration. Uh, Jenny built a, um, out of foam core, a step temple because we had like a Mesopotamian goddess in the book, um, a, a step temple out of foam core. Like that's insane, right? Um, so that's one end of the spectrum. The other end is just putting together a Pinterest board. I mean, that's fine, too. Gathering visuals. Mm -hmm. That's that that from the standpoint of of um, the they say that we're only capable of remembering seven to ten uh, pieces of information simultaneously. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and, and so 
your story is going to be much larger than that with many details and many ins and outs that um, are not always going to be in your head at the same time. And so creating visual representations of whether they're meaningful, emotional, or specific to the details is a a helpful exercise for the sake of seeing the the map Mm -hmm. uh, all at once, as it were. Yeah. Um, it, it can be. I mean, it's it depends. Um, for me, what I find really valuable is the um, the ritual of it. There's something in the ritual that while while my hands are busy cutting out things, printing stuff out, gluing it, putting stickers down. God help me. I've bought so many stickers at these places. Um, while I'm doing that, there's something about that that like frees up this creative part of my brain and, and I will be working within the story. And when I'm doing that in my daytime, at night when I'm sleeping, my brain is working the story. I'm in the story. It also helps me visually. I don't, I'm not a visual thinker. I think in terms of emotion, um, you know, characters, dialogue, I hear dialogue, but I don't see things. And I think that when you're writing a novel, you want to be able to visually represent something. So it shores up a weakness for me personally. Um, but I hate it. I hate all of it. Uh, until it becomes valuable. And then I'm like, oh, wow, this is really great, you know. Um, But the other thing that I highly, highly recommend, which I actually really respond to and has always worked really well for me, is building a soundtrack. Um, Having a soundtrack for your book that you listen to, first of all, it has to be songs that you don't know that you don't have a prior association with, because that means you have to do the work of breaking that association and then reassociating it with whatever it is that you're working on. Um, you take, you find, you go onto Spotify, find music. It can be um, instrumental music. It can be popular music, whatever. As long as it's music that you are not familiar with, and you don't have a prior association with, but that evokes a sense of the story that you're working on. Um, so when you have that soundtrack built, and I usually think of it in terms of like, if my book were a movie, if my book were a movie, what would be the song that's playing in the opening credits. If my book were a movie, what's the song that would be playing over the ending credits? If my book were a movie, what would the heroine's theme be? What would the hero's theme be? Like, uh, what would the villain's theme be? You know, and, and pick out a song representing, you can have a song that represents um, a scene, you know, like a, a big moment in the story. You can have like anything like that. And so I would usually build up a a soundtrack of like, I don't know, 15 to 20 songs. Some people have way longer. I like 15 to 20 because I play it and it starts to repeat. And the more you listen to these particular songs while thinking about this particular book, the more you're going to charge them with the association of the book and the story. And as you charge this soundtrack, it becomes a powerful way to get you in the zone. If you're writing, you know, when you're in drafting and you're writing for an hour a day, right? Um, you want to make the most of that hour. You turn on the soundtrack and it brings you, I have songs from a soundtrack that I was working with in 2005 and I was walking through the Walmart the other day and that song comes on and I was back in that book, a book I had thought about forever. But it brings me, it's so powerful. It still works to this day. So you get these songs, you charge them with your book, which means the only time you listen to this soundtrack is when you are thinking about this book on your commute or, you know, whatever you're doing when you're driving back and forth to the gym or whatever, you listen and you think, I'm thinking about the book. And if you find yourself not thinking about the book, you listen to other music, you know, Um, but you deliberately listen to the music and think about the book in those moments when you can on your run, whatever. Um, And then um, and then it's going to be charged with that. Listening to it while you're doing the collage is powerful charging because you're listening to it, you're 
charging it that way. You're thinking about the book. You're working on the collage. Um, and then when you're stuck, you know, when you're, you play the soundtrack and you try to think your way through it, you're in the, the book with that soundtrack. The soundtrack is hands down for me the most valuable thing that I do with every book and it's such an essential part of discovery because again that discovery process you're figuring everything out as you pick a song that represents you know the the main character's sister or whatever um it 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 just gets your creativity moving with these characters and helps you build them and build the the things that happen with them. So the discovery process is all of that. Um, one more thing that you can do, I know I've been rambling on, but I just want to get it all. I want you to have it all. Um, one more thing that you can do during discovery is discovery writing. And this is writing that is not intended. It's not drafting. It's not intended to be, go in the book. It's not intended to necessarily be part of it. Um, it can be a story that you write about something that happened to your protagonist when they were in the third grade, like a, a big moment for them that's in the past. Um, or it can be writing that's actually done from the perspective of your, you know, like in the voice of your character. It could be something that, you know, they wrote for a school assignment in high school or something. Or, um, or it can be you know a scene that happened at some time in the past that set up the um, the antagonism between your protagonist and your antagonist if there's a big grudge coming from the hip you know anything like that um, you can write anything you can write it in any um, present tense past tense you can write it in third person you can write it first person you can write it second but you write it however you want um, but your discovery writing kind of um, like greases up those wheels for drafting um, so that when you sit down to draft on the first day. It's not the first word you've written for this thing, um, but it's writing that, that helps you get to know, like you can fill out a questionnaire, like a personality form for your characters. You know, you can you do the Myers-Briggs for your character, like the, that discovery process. There's so many things that you can do kind of playing around with your characters and figuring it out. Um, and writing can absolutely be part of that. It's just that it's writing that is not necessarily intended to go in the book. You might accidentally write something that you can use later on, and that's great. Um, but I think discovery writing that people fall in love with, that they end up just wanting to put in the book, is responsible for a lot of the prologues that I tend to complain about uh, that don't really contribute to the story and that delay your access to the story. But the writer wrote Wrote something and it's brilliant and it's wonderful, but it's not your story. Get your narrative started, you know, uh, which is another discussion that we will have down the way. Um, but discovery is really, really fun. And even as a plotter, I would say discovery is where you start because even as you're figuring out what all of your uh, scene structures are going to be, how all of that stuff is going to lay out, um, that's all part of that discovery process um, and laying all that down. For those of us who are pan answers like I recommend forgetting everything just writing and not worrying about it and then you can go back and fix it later uh, but for plotters you're going to want to think about that structure you're going to want to kind of like get that laid out and that is also part of that discovery process got it so I, what, I've been do, what I've been doing is I'm developing a to-do list um, so if mm -hmm. we say we're going to meet again in April um, okay. The mm -hmm. agenda for me personally between now and April is the discovery portion of the process is, is yes, what, we're, absolutely. what we're saying. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, I have build a board if we're creating mm -hmm. bullet points for the people listening, uh, build a board, build a soundtrack. Um, 
15 to 20 songs on the soundtrack, discovery writing. Mm -hmm. And then for me personally, that would be outline, character sketches, whatever else I feel uh, necessary. And then we're going to come back again in April and Mm -hmm. talk about drafting. And we'll talk about drafting. Yeah. All right. I like it. Um, (laughs) Is there anything else that we need to get started? Um, just work with your process, you know, figure your process is going to be something that, um, anything that makes writing easier for you is part of your process. Now, whatever that is, if it means that you have the exact same, uh, cup of tea every time you sit down to think about this or that you have to get up at a certain point or like there's a certain point in the day when you need to write, um, kissing frogs to figure out what works for you, um, throughout the whole thing, throughout discovery drafting and revision. Um, These are all things that you should do. Anything that you can do to make it easier and to make it work better for you, do. I think a lot of times we decide that we should be a certain way instead of the way that we are. And then we don't work with ourselves. We don't work with our strengths. Look at what your strengths are as a writer and work with them. Um, as, as, you know, instead of trying to decide that you should be doing it a certain way, the only way you should be doing things is the way that works for you personally and figuring out what that is, is a bit of a process, but that should be part of your discovery work as well. Well, I think too, you're overlooking a particular step, which is, uh, acknowledging strengths you have as a writer. And that's definitely a place where I personally get stuck from time to time. Uh, mm-hmm. which to me is a uh, an opportunity to segue into where the hell is the Dear Boy video? Uh, <laughs> which uh, might be a question on people's minds. So last week, um, I mean, this is at this point, we're all very familiar with this uh, 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 pattern of mind, such as it is. Uh, two weeks ago, I, I, I uh, told people that I was not going to skip uh, either the podcast or Twitch streams just because uh, an episode guide was behind. Last week, I skipped the podcast and Twitch streams because there's an episode guide that is behind. Uh, and that, that would be Dear Boy. Now, for me personally, um, uh, and I just wanted to, you and I had a wonderful conversation about this. And uh, so I, I thought it would be interesting to, to sort of share it openly because the, um, those sorts of blocks and impediments to productivity are part of what the podcast is about um, to me, for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I've ta- I talked with you about how, especially in our friendship, I've, I've, I've d- developed some uh, confidence with personal voice. I feel like I know, uh, I feel like I have things to say. I feel like I have the ability to say them with um, the proper amount of either drama or comedy or so that they will land and be heard. Um, I'm a competent video editor, and so I can I can assemble those things in a way that is affecting and personal or comedic or informative, but entertaining in a way that it needs to be in order for those things to connect. But the damn script writing process, good God, I've been doing this for more than five years. There's 200 videos on the channel, and it's the same problem every time. <laughs> Uh, it, it's it's the one thing that has not 
outed. Um, and I, it's very hard for me to describe. Uh, like I said, I, so for me, the process is watch the episode, create an outline, develop the outline into points, develop those into paragraphs, and then record. Developing from the outline to the recording process is the part where I just cannot get myself to sit down and start writing. Um, uh, I've, I've had some success with, and, and, and given that this is the bane of my existence and my professional life, um, many of my friends have offered advice. Oh, why don't you go to Starbucks? Oh, uh, uh, try block. I have device. I have time lock safes to block devices from myself so that I don't use them. I have apps installed on the computer that block websites from me for a period of time. I have writing programs that won't allow me to tab out of them. But no tool makes you do the work. There is no, there are, there are, any tool is help, can be helpful if you have already begun to work. And that's where I get stuck. Um, is is in the sitting down and the um, and the just starting part of it, and and as you know, you and I are friends, and I've told you that that this professional exercise of mine, the only the only time it ever feels really in doubt is during. I'm like, this is the script. This is the one that's gonna send me back to Cubicle Town. <laughs> No, that's going to be season four of Angel. You're going to run to Cubicle Town in season four. Yeah, there's that's we'll jump off that bridge when I come to it. But the right. uh, uh, so uh, I reached out to you, uh, vented to you would be more appropriate, and um, you had some questions and some uh, advice uh, that I I thought was good stuff, and and I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing that here. Yeah, I'll share what I can remember. I remember I told you that um, changing the context uh, can sometimes help. The, the, the um, physical that context. Writing. Yeah, that, that uh, when you're stuck with something, you're staring at the same, you know, whatever tool you use, Google Docs or Microsoft Word or Pages or whatever it is that you write in. Uh, usually a page that looks like every other page you've gotten stuck on that is using the same font and the same, you will usually use the same font, the same size, the same everything. Um, and we're writing for an audience. You know, we're writing for everybody. And for you, that's a considerable number of people you have really large audience um, and so it's very hard to kind of um, to kind of break free of that freeze especially because you are you've associated freezing in that exact same context every single time so a couple of things I told you to do one was pick an ideal writer or I'm sorry one was to pick an I ideal reader, an ideal reader. Yes, that this can be a real person or just an imaginary person. Uh, but whoever it is, it must be somebody who loves your work and can't wait for the next video and wants to, you know, um, so that you're writing specifically to somebody. Having an ideal reader of some sort, but this person should be somebody who, um, who you know will be delighted by what it is that you're doing, you know, um, and, and be that a real person or an imaginary person. Stephen King 
I think, was the first person I'd heard this idea from. And his ideal reader is his wife, Tabitha. Um, she's the one he writes for her, you know. Um, and I think that having somebody that you specifically write for can be really helpful. Also, like I was talking about, your, you know, you're in Word. Like, uh, you know, I was talking before about it, how in Discovery you associate certain things, like with the songs, right? Like you use the songs, you charge them with that association from the book, right? If you are always sitting in your chair looking at your screen and it is the same program, it is the same font, it is the same text, it looks, everything looks the same, um, you've already charged that like situation, that context with panic. It's already charged. The second you walk in, that's what you're going to feel. So changing the font, changing it, changing it from light mode to dark mode, um, use it, do working on your laptop instead of your computer, um, writing in longhand instead of on the computer, um, uh, any number of things. Like you can change all of that context and then you don't have that panic association with it. And that can open it up. Um, you know, so there's a number of things that you can do that can kind of just break it out a little bit. Because right now, honestly, I think that you have had so much like panic and just like tension associated with the the way in which you work that changing anything in that context can you know break some of that open for you yeah for um, me it's worth a try it's one of the only places where the um, the idea of audience really invades uh and by that i mean mm -hmm. uh, when i'm editing it's almost a spiritual experience for lack of a better yeah. um, term. It's something that comes from my gut. Uh, I'm, I'm looking to play the notes in a way where I have a, an emotional reaction to them. And, yes. and that is just instinct to me, but, it, but writing is so cognitive that at that point, I, I think we talked about for me, um, writing for the channel has become kind of like, uh, I don't, think about the audience but the thought is always there it's the de facto yeah. there are sixty thousand subscribers um occasionally eyes on from the people who have created the shows that i am writing about mm -hmm. um you know so on and so forth and that is too many voices that uh, that it is that's too, way too yeah many. that's too many people and for me the best um episode guides or the ones that come to me the easiest are the ones th where I have a personal connection to the material that I'm mm -hmm. excited to expose for myself. So mm -hmm. I'm uh, I'm I'm using the piece of fiction in a way uh, to understand something about myself or to gain clarity, and I can share that clarity. It typically comes in the form of one of the conclusions that people um, enjoy. Uh, the prodigal, I sort of filtered my own daddy issues through Liam and Angel uh, and and his father. And, and so that ending sort of came up. But it instilled in me, um, the audience was myself because I knew when I would hear the thing that I needed to hear that it was done, that it was complete, that I had said what I, I needed to say. But for certain, but that's that cannot be expected over 22, 24 episodes in a season. You're gonna have where the wild things are. You're gonna have the those uh -huh. episodes where you go, this one doesn't mean a lot to me. Um, uh, and I still have, have to put it together. So the idea of, and that to me is where the de facto comes back, where I'm writing for the channel and the channel is all of the subscribers and all of those people and it's that it's too much right it's not per it's, too it, much. it's not it's no longer personal 
Um, and so I loved your idea. Uh, I don't, again, I don't know why s- seduction was the first thing that came to mind, but Hey, whatever inspires work you. With yeah, it. exactly. Work with it. You know, um, yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering if, um, anyone has questions, uh, about getting started about some of the things that we've talked about. Can you, um, share ways of reaching out to you and would you be adverse to, um, maybe answering some of those questions in video form in a future podcast? Oh, absolutely. If anybody has questions that you want to me to answer the next time Ian and I hang out, you know, you can send them to me, uh, Lonnie at chipperish.com. Um, on Twitter is I'm always on Twitter. So if you uh, at Lonnie Diane Rich, you can send me stuff there. Um, and if you have if there's anything that you need. Also, um, How Story Works is my podcast that is basically all of this stuff. Um, and I've already done I think like 40 some episodes of that on my own the conversations podcast podcast where I'm actually because some of you may have noticed um, I get really deep into like I this and this and this and this and the expertise and some of the stuff that I say I think sometimes I may not explain as clearly because I'm so familiar with it that I think it just makes sense to everybody. So I'm starting this new phase of How Story Works, the podcast uh, that's conversations with uh, my co-host, Dr. Kelly Jones, who is a conceptual developer and a learning expert. And so whenever I talk about something, she makes sure that we have the conversation in a way that structures all of these thoughts that they actually make sense for people. So that's what's starting on March 11th. But there are 40 episodes of How Story Works in the podcast um, that are available right now to anybody who wants to subscribe to them. So if you're if you're interested in any of this stuff, I talk about uh, everything with storytelling, the, the kinds of things that, that Ian and I are probably going to be talking about more um, during the drafting and revision discussion, things like conflict and, and structure and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, we'll be talking about that when I come back. But also there's tons of that stuff out there. And, uh, and I have that available. And I'm happy to answer questions if anybody has them. Thank you so much. Oh, you bet. It's always fun. It's always a good time. Thanks for having me on. Once again, thank you so much, Lonnie, for your time. Uh, The podcast is back this week, but we are doing a bunch of early morning work on the house. So I won't be Twitch streaming again until next week. I'll let you know if you want to follow on Twitter. That's at Ian Nitrum. That's my first and last name spelled backwards, Ian Martin. On Twitter, youtube.com slash passionofthenerd. And if you'd like to support the channel, you can do so at patreon.com slash passionofthenerd or by grabbing yourself something on passionofthenerd.com slash store. This Saturday, we'll be doing the Patreon hangout for the $5 and up club uh, on Patreon. And... I'm having to vamp so that I can go see which episodes we are watching. Something Blue, Parting Gifts. Last week week we watched Hero and Hush. Um, This week will be Parting Gifts and Somnambulist because patrons voted to skip Doom. Duh. Doomed. Don't blame me. All right, so here we go. Let's do... Chapter 10, this week's fanfic reading. Chapter 10 from Here is Gone by Terry Boda. Now, uh, just a reminder, all of Lonnie's uh, mentioned links will be in the description. And after recording this, I will also be working on a 
chapter one through 10 catch up file so that um, people don't have to click through if they want to uh, get caught up to where we are. And I'll, I'll include that with next week's podcast. All right. Here is gone. Uh, chapter 10. Spike spun his tail, much the same one he had told her the first time he had done this. He made minor changes here and there, but paused when he caught Buffy frowning at him after his tale of the Chinese slayer. "'What are you looking at?' he asked, but he knew what she was going to say. "'You got off on it,' she accused. "'Well, yeah. And don't tell me you don't get off on killing my kind.' that you don't enjoy the victory and the power rush every time you dust one of us, that you don't want to climb Captain Cardboard's tree after a heavy night of slaying. She moved to protest, but he cut her off, seeing the guilty look in her eyes. The problem is you do get off on it, but you've been taught by the blooded council of wankers that it's wrong for you to feel this way, that it's dirty. It's not dirty, it's natural. There are plenty of humans out there that get their kicks off pain and violence. Normal humans with souls. You're not a normal human pet, and you've got appetites that the normal mundane population of this miserable town couldn't even begin to understand or fathom. He countered, moving around the pool table. She was looking disgusted, but he had her attention, and his demon thrilled as he pressed his advantage. That slayer that went to the dark side, what was her name? Faith? She understood what I'm talking about. The brief stint with the body switching, she was here, teasing everything with balls, including me. She knew about power and sex and what it does to a slayer, and she wasn't the only one. You think she's, she was the bad egg, the anomaly, but the truth of the matter is that she wasn't the off one. You are. There is nothing wrong with me, she snapped angrily. Oh, Hit a nerve, did I? No, there isn't. But there are parts of you, Slayer, that don't accept what you are, that fight the power in the darkness. Yes, darkness in you. And I'm telling you that one day, that will get you killed, he pressed. Buffy crossed her arms and glared at him. Oh, and you'll just be dancing and throwing a party when that happens. The words hit him like a physical blow, and he flinched. Both his soul and the demon screamed in protest, No, I'll be a useless wreck clinging to a half-grown girl. But if I'm lucky, I won't ever have to find out because I'll either save you or I'll die trying. He tried to set up another shot, but his hands were shaking so badly that it veered wide. Think about this, Slayer. There's countless numbers of us and only one of you. It only takes one of us to get a lucky shot or catch you on a bad day, for it'll all be over, he said leaning on the pool cue and consciously choosing to leave out the one-good-day line he had uttered before. But that's not why we're here, in it? He paused to look at her, then motioned to the table. It's your move, love. She took him outside, demanded a blow-by-blow, play-by-play of his fight with the New York Slayer, and he obliged her, as he had done before. Okay, give it to me, she pressed, and he lunged at her. She ducked and came up behind him, but this time he was ready for her and swung around. She missed grabbing him and hit the wall, making him laugh. What? She sneered, regaining composure. Lesson the second. Ask the right questions. You want to know how I beat them? 
She gestured for him to continue, and the exhilaration began flooding through his body. They were dancing, and he'd missed it. Even his soul was excited, more so because he knew this evening would end differently than it had before. Or so he hoped. The question isn't how'd I win. The question is why'd they lose? What's the difference? He attacked with the pool cue, stopping just inches from her throat. There's a big difference, love. Buffy swatted the pool cue right out of his hand and sent it flying without a flinch. He let her. How'd you kill the second one? He shrugged, then said, well, it went a bit like this. He threw three punches at her head in quick succession, using his vampire's strength. Buffy easily moved out of the way. That didn't hurt, she accused, a wary look in her eyes. Spike shook his head. I knew I couldn't touch you. If there's no intent to hurt you, then the chip they shoved my brain never activates. If, on the other hand, he vamped out and swung another punch right at her face. Before his fist could connect, however, the chip fired and he reeled off a howl. Breathing heavily, clutching his forehead, he shook off his demon. See, now that hurt. Yeah, she punched him. That hurt too? Definite pain there, he admitted. How'd you kill him, Spike? He moved for her again, but she grabbed him, flipped him onto his back, and straddled him, a stake at his heart. If he'd had a pulse, it would have been pounding. As it was, he was breathing heavily, excited and aroused, and tortured by the knowledge of what was to come. You're not ready to know. You're alive and vibrant and full of joy, and you use me, abuse me, and I want to hate you. But I can't. I love you. I love you even though I'm nothing to you. Why can't I hate you? I'm ready, she countered firmly, pressing the stake into his flesh. Would she really kill me? Would that be such a bad thing? No, can't. Gotta stay with her so I can protect Dawn and save Joyce. Okay, once more into the brink. Okay, then. Went like this. He flipped Buffy off him, sending her sprawling as he reenacted his fight with the New York Slayer. The first one was all business, but the second, now she had a touch of your style, he said, lunging and parrying with her. She was cunning, resourceful, and oh, did I mention hot. I could have danced all night with that one. You think we're dancing? Buffy countered, avoiding another blow. Spike came in close to her face. It's all we've ever done. He backed away from her, retrieving the pool cue and spinning it, as he had once spun the ca subway car support pole he had ripped out all those years ago. Every day you wake up, it's the same bloody question. What haunts you is today, the day I die. Buffy tried to punch him, but she missed, and he continued, every time the sun rises and every day you manage to survive, you'll, you're only partly relieved because you know it's just a matter of time. Using the cue as a quarterstaff, he went after her with enthusiasm, reveling in the rush the feeling of being free with her. Death is your, death is on your heels, baby. And sooner or later, it's going to touch you. Buffy kicked out, barely v missing his genitals. He rolled, flipping her out of the, her way to land on his knees. Breathing heavily, he licked his lips, loving the sight of her in full battle mode. Powerful, undefeated, magnificent. She was glorious, and he was her fool. And some part of you wants it. Not only to stop the fear and uncertainty, but because you're just a little bit in love with it. Death is your art. 
You make it with your hands day after day. She came to stand before him, and he stayed on his knees, looking up at her with an expression of sublime peace. Part of you is desperate to know what's it like. Where does it lead you? So you see, that's the secret. Not the punch you didn't throw or the kick you didn't land. She simply wanted it. Every slayer has a death wish. He waited, he waited on his knees, waiting to see if she would say anything. And when she merely stared at him, nostrils flaring, he rose to his feet. But not you, love. At least not yet. You still have ties to this world. Your mom, your sister, the Scoobies. They're what keep you fighting, he explained. See, the Council of Wankers think family and friends will distract the Slayer from her duties. So they take the potentials away from their folks and give them to the Watchers to raise. They grow up in isolation, force-fed the Council's line of rubbish about sacred duty and sacrifice. And by the time they've been slaying for two years, they're all worn out. They want to die. I just happen to be the one who wore them down enough to give them what they wanted. Buffy snorted in disgust, but didn't turn away. Yeah, love, you might not like what I have to say, but you know I'm telling the truth. They died because they lost the will to fight. They had nothing to fight for. Even the military knows that soldiers who don't get letters from home are the ones that die or stop fighting. And make no mistake, Buffy, you are a soldier, a true warrior, and you think and act like one. Your family, your friends, they remind you of why this... You fight this fight every night. They're your letters from home. He looked at her earnestly, noting that she seemed to fold in upon herself, her eyes lost and sad. He stood close to her, but did not touch her. He wanted to, but he knew it was too soon. She wasn't ready to accept comfort from him just yet. The reason you slipped up, Buffy, he said softly, gently, is because you're worried about your mum. She's got you thinking about her and not on fighting the nasties. And soon as everything's all right again, you'll be back in fight and trim, and nothing will get close enough to touch you. But until then, it's probably best if you don't patrol alone. She met his eyes, her expression pained. I, I wasn't alone. Riley was with me. He nodded, but didn't comment. He didn't need to. She was already forming her own conclusions about Riley. How is Mum, anyway? Did you take her to get the CAT scan? He knew that she hadn't. Not, not yet. But the medication seems to be working. Her headaches aren't as bad. I think she was supposed to get the test results back today, but I haven't seen her to ask if there was any news. Here, lesson's over. Why don't I walk you home and we can both get the news together? She nodded in agreement and turned for home. Spike fell in step beside her, leaving the pool cue lying in the alley. They walked in silence. Buffy lost in her thoughts, and Spike caught in the dread of already knowing what awaited them when they arrived at the Summers' house. Still, every so often he'd look at her, drinking in the sight of her as she was in her prime loving her, hating her, and pretending that she didn't really think of him as a disgusting monster, but saw him as a man, as her equal. We could have been so good together, if only you'd let me love you. He followed her into the house and waited at the bottom of the stairs while she went up to get her mother. 
He already knew what she would find up there and steeled himself for it. A minute or two later, a visibly upset Buffy came down the stairs, followed by her mother. Buffy, he questioned, pretending ignorance even as his soul filled with pain. Buffy shook her head and walked away. He watched her go out the kitchen door to sit on the back porch. Joyce, he asked, looking at the woman. I have to go back to the hospital, Spike. My test results came back today, and, and they want to do a CAT scan and run a few more tests. About bloody damn time. His outburst made her smile softly. Yes, I know. You've been telling me to go for weeks. You should be happy now. I'd have been happier if they'd done it sooner. Joyce shrugged. Well, they're doing it tomorrow. You'll have to be happy with that. She motioned towards the kitchen. Want me to make some cocoa? He shook her head. He shook his head. No, but thank you for offering. I think I'll go see if your eldest needs anything. The woman looked at him, her expression pensive, but she didn't try and stop him as he walked towards the back door. He found Buffy crying on the back steps, just as she had been the first night when he'd stormed into her yard carrying a loaded rifle, hell-bent on killing her. Right before he couldn't stand the sight of her tears and turned into a spineless poofter. This time around, he had no rifle and no murderous intent, but he did sit, sit next to her and gingerly reached over to pat her on the shoulder, comfortingly. She cast him a heartbroken glance, then looked off into the distance. He stayed next to her, a silent supporter, until she was ready to go back in the house. All right, my friends, I'm going to go ahead and say good night, goodbye, good evening, good morning. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for spending that time with me. I will be back on Monday, getting back to normal, hopefully. <laughs> it is what it is, right? All right, thanks so much. We'll see you in a week.